Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. It's Halloween, nearly. Welcome to Drive-by cinema. With me, Rick, and my co-host, Paul. Yeah. Hi, everybody. <laughs> well, we watch the movies so you don't have to. Traditional to watch a horror movie at Halloween, isn't it? Witching hour is upon us, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Get your pumpkin spice lattes out. This weekend I'm going to be busy. I'm helping to run a conference called QED. QED, hop along. Which is in Manchester. I really perhaps should have perhaps promoted it more on this podcast, although I do suspect that all... 20 or so people who listen already know about QED. Many of them might already be going, even. Pop the link on the week before, Richard. It's a bit late now, isn't it? Yeah, but you can mention this one, say, retrospectively. It's it's going to... Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. They're not going to hear this until you've said, oh, by the way, I'm putting the link the week before. Yeah, with you. Because <laughs> by the time you hear this, it's probably going to have happened. Is that right? Or about to be happening? I think for most people listening to our podcast, it will have happened already. Richard uh, has worked for many years on QED, haven't you? Well, it's been going for about 10 years. I think we started in 2011. And it's a conference related to science and critical thinking and all that assails it in the modern world. So in terms of the cup is empty, cup is full uh, designation of people's attitude towards truth, cup is full is kind of like... Let's call those optimists, yeah. Let's call people that believe nothing, that the whole world is a complete fallacy, pessimists. Uh, in terms of this criticality, where does it lie, Richard? Is it realist or is it, is it, uh, is it between realist and cynic, i.e. skeptic? <laughs> between realist and cynic, skeptic. Most people assume skeptic means cynic, which is unfortunate. Different. It's the critical oh. side of realism, isn't it? I'd like to think so. Paul, have we got any corrections and omissions from previous episodes that you'd like to conduct? Nah. You know what I like, go. Fine then. You know, day's work, day's pay, no worries. Fine then. Listen, I've been listening to plenty of podcasts recently, and one of the things I've been noticing is how important toys can be. What can be? You know, toys are very... Toys. Toys that one would give to a child. Oh, sorry, I thought you were talking about the other kind of toys. But we don't have a coming up on Christmas. We don't have a particular adult orientation in our, in our commentary in this in this movie 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 review podcast, do we? So yeah, uh, well, we usually talk. swear or talk about sex, don't we? But not otherwise, very you're much, right. Yeah, so. we're completely, completely we're pretty clean things. compared to a lot of them, Richard. You know, every year there's usually like a toy that the media say is the one that everyone has to get. Yeah, do you keep up with that kind of stuff? Or- this is what how Alan Sugar started, isn't it? You want to build up from your business. Yeah, look how he ended up. Gilets. Look, indeed, yeah. So the heated gilet business doing okay. Let's look at toys. And what is the big toy this year then, Paul? What, I'll tell you what, before I what tell you the answer. That, well, I've been looking into it, right? But before I go on to that, I'm so glad I didn't buy the heated blankets. Because I thought, you know, big seller this year. Octopus energy giving fifty thousand away in free of charge. So, you know. Always beware. Ooh, yeah. Always beware the state. Unfair business practice. Always beware the status butter mountain. That's all I can say. Yeah, you know, I'm with Margaret on that one. 
so, so yeah, essentially a butter mounter has just been created that needs to be got rid of. And so I, I'm glad I didn't go for those. Yeah, so I've been looking into toys. Obviously, Dancing Cactus. But I think it was last year also, wasn't it? Dancing Cactus. Okay, I don't know this. Have to, so, yeah. Have that I mean, it's all over YouTube and, and Facebook Reels, whatever it's called. And Tok Tok, if you watch Tok Tok. Uh, right. Cactus. It, it, so, it's popular because if you put it in front of babies, it makes what the baby says and terrifies them. It makes them cry. <laughs> so, it's a really good It's a really good Christmas party piece, you know. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, then I was thinking, okay... I don't, I don't think it's copyrighted, Dancing Cactuses, but I'm sure it's been done to death last Christmas, and I'm, my research has not gone that far, and that one I have to admit, in progress. Then I thought Huggy Wuggy. Huggy Wuggy banned the kids, but there was still like a Huggy Wuggy toy. What do you mean Huggy Wuggy's banned for kids? Oh, schools are banned all reference to Huggy Wuggy. So, obviously... Why? As as uh, as a, count, as a uh, prohibition... Product it gains in value as a result in the eyes of children. For what reason? Why has it been banned? Uh, what's the game it's in? Huggy Huggy Wuggy. He's the main character in that game where essentially you're chased down sort of corridors in attics by seemingly nice little toys that have demonic menacing grins. Okay, it kind of turns sinister at the end. You see, so it's it's about this toy that's really really nice to you and then starts chasing you. But it's it's a maniacal game where there's there's a sense of velocity in the way it's chasing you. It kind of it kind of looms up over you. I don't know how they've done the 3D, but if you actually play the game, it's it's really it's quite effective. So, so I was thinking Huggy Wuggy toys, but then hmm. I thought obviously there's gonna be a copyright on them. So unless I'm flogging in car boot sales where I can hot foot it out afterwards, uh, there's gonna be you know very a very very clear uh, electronic trail, isn't there? If I sell them online. Uh, and I'm violating copyright. There's perception, isn't there, that toys are just frivolous and, you know, without real importance, I yeah. suppose. But, you know, we all know that toys can be very formative. You know, there's the old thing of giving, like, b- building blocks or Lego bricks to budding architects. That's right, you know. Oh, I mean, Obviously, the toy, giving instruments to kids. The yeah, toy to made them who they are. In a sense, toys are exactly. us. Yeah, toys are us. Yeah, definitely. And I've been looking into this and some of the history of this, Paul, interestingly. Mm. Did you ever play with a toy oh, God, that we call plasticine? Uh, yeah. It was one of the things I got stuck in my ears and nose as well as frozen peas. For those who are not aware, plasticine is a kind of fake modelling Play-Doh? Clay. I guess it's called Play-Doh it's, these days. That's sold in... Strips now. Play-Doh is a completely different uh, thing, Paul. It's a well, completely different product. I have both, but I don't remember the difference. Plasticine is relatively new, but uh, as I understand it, play Play-Doh goes back a long, long way. We're talking Whoa. ancient Greek times. Plasticine was the one in strips, yeah. Sold in strips. Initially, it comes in separate colours, but after a few weeks, it all gets munged together in one um, sort of solid colour that can only be described as kind of plasticine grey or brown. It's indescribable kind of mixed colour, isn't it? Right, okay. We'll go back to that. Can I just say etch, Etch-a-Sketch? Yeah, you know etch, Etch-a-Sketch? I do know Etch-a-Sketch. It's like the TV yeah. screen you could draw on, yeah, and then rub out. 
But similar to yes. it was felt boards. Do you remember felt boards? We had these fuzzy felt, fuzzy felt, oh, fuzzy yeah. felt. Thank you. Similar principle to X yeah. a sketch. It's kind of like modular, modular drawing kind of thing. Yeah, the thing was, you know, in in those bonfire days, Guy Fawkes, this time of the year, coming towards the time of year, like for us as kids, TV stopped essentially at five thirty-five, didn't it? And so there was a whole <laughs> sort of there was a whole winter evening that stretched out for you, where we kind of had to play with these shit toys, didn't we? I mean, well, you say shit. Plasticine, of course, is a product of the the age of oil. Because it requires some kind of petroleum-based product. Yeah, I mentioned that Play-Doh goes back a long way to ancient Greek times. I didn't know this, yeah. but I was listening to podcasts that were describing the in- incredibly important influence that Play-Doh has seen uh, on the thought, and particularly in the philosophical realm of that era. Uh, you might not think it, but you know, it's a modelling tool, isn't it? it? It shapes minds and promotes creativity. But you hear people talking about Play-Doh in ancient Greece as being extremely influential. <laughs> Socrates speaks very highly of Play-Doh. Amazing, isn't it? You wouldn't have thought that. Okay. What's the other, the other way you did the same joke, Richard, but with another word? I forgot what it was. <laughs> I thought was it was quite funny. Doesn't matter. <laughs> it never does. Here's the music. <laughs> This horror movie is called It Follows. Nice. And it follows Nailed from that. It. We're going to review the movie It Follows. It does follow. 2016, written and directed by David Brackett's Robert Close. Sorry, Brackett I thought Mitchell. it was 2014. 2000 and f- Let's just get the corrections in now whilst we, whilst we can. Okay. Well, let, somewhere between 2014 and 2016. Yeah. More on the 14th side, but yeah, go on. <laughs> so it follows a strong assertion. So I guess our review is going to be, does it follow? Listen, this is therefore before, I think, before Stranger Things. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Do you get a bit of a Stranger Things vibe from it, though? Kids facing a supernatural entity. I mean, it's obviously much more adult than Stranger Things. Much less light-hearted than Stranger Things can be. And it's perhaps more exquisitely crafted, you know. I mean, Stranger Things goes in for the Stephen King volume kind of stuff, doesn't it? Add it sure, all on, yeah. build it all on, you know. Uh, essentially, I mean, Stranger Things is Dungeons and Dragons built out into a child's imagination, isn't it, really? But... But yeah, I do see those those connections, yeah, definitely. But the other big influence that they acknowledge is John Carpenter and his Halloween, original Halloween movie, Halloween. And you can see that, surely. Yeah. Stylistically, Particularly, yeah, I mean. Very much so. Particularly in the opening shot, which is a suburban street, very similar to the Halloween um, setting of the John Carpenter movie, which, you know... One of the reasons why Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween is so weird and scary, I think, is many of the streets are kind of deserted. Yeah. 
that's because he couldn't afford. <laughs> he <laughs> couldn't, couldn't afford, afford extras. Real set in the Universal Studios, yeah, yeah. But here we are in a in a suburban street, very similar sort of tree lined avenue, you know, kind of suburban, you know, with big gardens and the houses set well back from the street, and and the girl, autumnal glow of lights in windows. It's it's dusk, isn't it? It's just going. It's just on the turn from daylight to dusk, and a girl runs out, clearly in fear. She stands in the middle of the street, looking back at the house that she's just run out of. In a panic, obviously. She's in her underwear, or like nightwear, maybe, I guess. And her dad comes out, worried about her, you know, what's wrong. She ignores him, basically. And after a few moments, she runs back inside, presumably grabs car keys or something, comes out again and jumps in the car. Drives away. The next thing we see her sitting on the beach in the dark, and her cell phone is ringing. Mm-hmm. She's still on, clearly. Isn't she? she seems absolutely desperate and mm. despairing and terrified. She's letting the phone ring out, but eventually she answers it. It's obviously her dad trying to get hold of her, and she's apologizing tearfully to her dad. And then she looks back at the car that she's just sort of abandoned on the beachside. Um, Doors open and the lights on. And you're seeing from her view, but I don't think we see anything other than the car. Yeah. But she seems still disturbed. Yeah. And then cut, the next shot that we see is in the morning, the cold light of a dull grey morning, and she's lying on the beach, clearly dead, with her her leg really obscenely broken, kind of with... In a way that Vetner would snap it, yeah. (laughs) Indeed. Pretty horrific opening. I thought, you know, a, a good attention grabber, you know, a nice icebreaker to the movie. I was interested at this point. So then we get the slow burn. I kind of just recommend to movie makers, if you're going to do slow burns and, you know, put something at the beginning like this to capture, to capture, intriguing to capture our interests if you're going to slow burn it afterwards. Paul found this slow, didn't he? Didn't he? I did, yeah. But like I said, I didn't mind that much because that was a really good opener, you know. It's your, it's your ADHD, Paul. You probably need it to be peaked. taking more of the... More the right lid. It piqued my interest, uh, so I didn't mind. It was. I'm, I mean, I'm just saying it was slow. I don't know if you. Dis- I don't know if you disagree with that as a movie. It was slow. Uh, I don't think it laboured. You know, I think it indulged. Itself. I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah. Is it's a quite simple idea that we're going to be introduced yeah. to quite quickly? Actually, we're not left in much suspense about what is going on. No. Uh, and then. It's going to play out of the course of the the entire rest of the movie. We're back in suburbia, but a different part of suburbia, I think. A girl gets into a pool in a back garden. It's one of those very high-sided pools that seem to exist in America, but I've not Much seen more easy else. to get electrocuted with those. What do you mean? Electrocuted? Well, if, there's gra- you- if there's ground electricity, you know, let's say there's some rogue electrical wire. fault wire, you know, in your garden lighting or stuff. It's much more easy to get electrocuted in one of those than a, 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 a pool that's set into the ground, apparently. A cement pool in the ground, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, she's obviously a keen swimmer, isn't she? She seems to spend a lot of time in the water in this film. She's watching the animals and stuff. There's an ant on her arm. This seems strangely significant, this moment, but I don't remember why it's important later on. <laughs> <laughs> She's uh, apparently she's talking to her sister. She's got a date later that night with a, a guy, a new guy, I think. Hugh. 
And the later transfers Hugh, there, as we, we learn his name will be. Her name is Jay. Have you mentioned that? Her name is Jade for Jamie. Ah. Apparently, apparently that is a, a reference to Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween. An homage, if you like. The kids next door, sort of young, younger teenagers, are peeping over the hedge and spying on her while she's in her swimsuit. She must be about, what, 17, 18, sort of? Yeah, hard to say. I mean, she can drive, or her friends can drive, so at least at least 15. At least 15, but probably 16 or 17. She gets ready for a date, and you know, we next see her in the cinema queue with her date, playing a game where they... called the trade game, where you ask your opposite number to pick out someone that they want to trade places with. This is endearing, isn't it? This cinema is a proper old-fashioned-y cinema. It's got an organist. It's a proper old-fashioned picture house. Yeah. What was the name of that movie where they trekked up from a picture house to try and find an alien entity in the hills? Oh, my God. From World War One. That's a long time ago, isn't it? It was. I'm glad we don't revisit that movie. <laughs> no, that was... Well, it's left an indelible see, mark in our, we, we in know, our psyches. I mean, <laughs> we both shut it down completely. I can't even retrieve ideas about it. I, I hope the people who made that film haven't listened to our podcast and become upset. Because apparently, you know Limmy? Yeah. Apparently he, he reviewed a movie and the movie maker saw it and had a go at him on Twitter about it. Yeah. We need some sort of way to communicate inverted commas to what we're saying to our audience. <laughs> Apart from heavy sarcasm. Sarcasm indicator, yeah. So apparently this is a famous oldie cinema in wherever it was they filmed this. I think they filmed this somewhere, was it, Mi- yeah, it was Michigan they filmed this. Where the hell is Michigan? It's south of Chicago, yeah? Yeah, it's around the kind of central Great US lakes. Sort of lakes. Yeah. yeah, exactly, isn't it? Do you know how many nights, I mean, they're playing this game, whatever you call it, the, 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 the blah, blah game. The trading places game. States of America game, you know. I I must have played it 100 nights. And it's the kind of game, not because of the alcohol, just because of my crap memory, that I just can't get better at, you know. What what is the game? You have to name the States of America. Well, all of them? Yeah. That's difficult, isn't it, though? Yeah. But you can't repeat ones that people already named. You're not allowed to write them down and stuff like that. That's especially difficult. Apart from the person who's who's adjudicating, Never have I ever. I mean, you must have played that at several, you know. It kind of carried on to the age of 30 for me. I think people wanted to play Never Have I Ever. It's that weird thing where the guys it, say, uh, never have I ever given a blowjob in a urinal. And then, you know, obviously, they're, they're, <laughs> you know, they're scouting out the slots in the group, aren't they? You know, for later. Kind of thing. Clearly, yeah. Yeah. It's a game with a purpose. There's no, <laughs> no question. Yeah. <laughs> One, to turn the conversation sexual, but two... To find out potentially polite partners. So. <laughs> or to find, you know, partners at your level of slot kind of thing. Which if you're playing it for those intentions, you're, you're probably slutty enough anyway, aren't you? So This kind of social filtering, yeah. yeah. I, I so, never get the way that, you know, adults want to play Twister in a sexual way. Like, you know, despite the fact skin-to-skin contact means something different to adults, to adults, I still couldn't play it in a way that I would find it 
anywhere Why, potentially, because... potentially arousing. You know, it's just like it's twisted. You know what I mean? Because he used to play it as a kid. So it no, it's like seeing people naked in the swimming pool. It's just not a sexual situation, is it? Or hmm. sorry, people near naked or scantily clad in the swimming pool. Whereas, oh, those, yeah, because those... people are seriously playing Twister, aren't they? I mean, it's yeah, it, it's a sacred, uh, a sacred tradition, right? <laughs> But it's the fact that you know, you, you, I mean, the bodily contact is just so enforced by the game that there's nothing. There can't be anything Sorry, sexual about. Are it, you talking it? about Naked Twister? No, I've never played Naked Twister. <laughs> well, if you're going to play Sexual Twister, why wouldn't you play it naked or Strip Twister? I suppose you play Strip Twister, wouldn't you? You gradually get more naked. I don't know, but I just imagine. <laughs> what What amazes me is. There should be, if you're going to play Erotic Twister with, like, one other person, perhaps that's an unusual situation that would never arise, but there should be an, a phone app that will call out limbs and colours automatically <laughs> so someone doesn't have to spin that stupid wheel. <laughs> that should be a thing, right? But, but what I'm saying about swimming pools is, you know, I mean, uh, the, the woman who, you know, undresses in a lap, in a lap dance club, if you saw her down the swimming pool, it just has a different connotation. It would be arousing, mm. would it? Because there's no sense of re- revelation and there's no sense of implied ocular consent, is there? Context is everything. Mm. Well, it's the same in a medical setting, isn't it? Doctors presumably are seeing people naked all the time. I don't know. How, how, why did we get into this? <laughs> oh, they anyway, played a game. They, they played a game where they have, to guess, they have to guess who the other person wants to be. Now, this is important because at some point... Um, they're sitting down in the cinema and they've had a look around and they're guessing one another, etc. And at some point, uh, she turns around and no, no, he turns around and he uh, asks her if she's imagining that she's the girl in the yellow dress. And she turns around and, and she can't see anybody in a yellow dress. Whoa. And when she reveals that to him, Hugh gets very spooked and says that they've got to leave immediately. And they get up out of the cinema and you see them then driving away from there. So she discusses this weird situation with her sister back at home. And there's a very John Carpenter-esque synth music score going on as well when this is happening. And we then, we then see them on another date night. And this time it's nighttime and they're going to a beach with some cans of beer and it's kind of romantic on the beach, you know, in the moonlight and stuff. And they kiss. And then they go back to the car. And he's parked it in this sort of derelict industrial estate. Next to the beach, obviously, yeah. And they, they bonk in the car. That's a good word we don't hear very often, isn't it, bonk? That seemed to be what they were doing. And uh, I think that's, I, that, that fell out of favour because Boris was around. You know what I mean? It just oh, sounded sound like the kind of thing that Boris might say. But Boris now, would do, yeah. Now he he's gone. It's, it's, yeah. common, it's common currency again. We've been allowed to use it, I think. Now, after they've... Now, they do this consensually. Let's be very clear about this. She's clearly completely fine with it. And after yeah. they've done it, she's lying lengthways on the back seat, the big bench seat of the old car. And she's uh, quite content. He's hopped out. Seems strange thing to do, actually. But I think he'd gone to the back. He, he did bring her a tin uh, of from the six-pack. But also, you see him get in the back of the car, jump on top of her, kind of playfully, perhaps. But then he puts a rag over her mouth. Right, okay. Can I stop you here? 
chloroform, okay. presumably, or some sort of thing. Yeah. Must now, be. this was, this is where I really misunderstood. I get they were Nookie in the front. I thought he was continuing Nookie in the back. It, from his, you when, mean in the car, by the way? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, no, wait a minute. Okay. So when he jumped in the back on top of her, I thought he was like positioned himself again and that he was forcefully entering her. Yeah, I misunderstood. Uh, you, you misunderstood. Know, maybe we also you misread part, the situation. I thought it was a forced party in the back kind of thing, in the back. And the way she was whimpering, I thought was an indication, you know, either he was a girthy guy or that it was, you know, very non-consensual. So therefore, no. later on in the movie where he reappears and she doesn't like slap him, I was really confused. But anyway. No, I think that's what's confusing about this is it seemed that they've just had consensual sex. Yeah. And, you know, presumably to everyone's satisfaction and yet now he's still knocking her out with chloroform it Mm. does seem really weird one thing about this film which i've seen commented on and started to hit my consciousness in the course of the film but i couldn't put my finger on it initially i I said it's a bit like stranger things but this film doesn't seem to belong to any particular time period right like the girl at the beginning has a cell phone, no question. Although it's quite chunky, it's like a clam, um, circular clam thing, isn't it, or something? Well, later on, one? her sister has got a circular clamshell thing, which is—I don't think it's a phone, but she's reading books on it, like a Kindle. But it's like it's more—it's like the size of a makeup compact. Um, and there's no other smartphones that you see. The cars are a weird mix. Mm. So the car that they're in at this point is like a 70s kind of, you know, well, that's proper old for teenagers anyway, isn't it, of any, any, any age kind of thing? Because you would buy a Sure, junker. sure. You know, you'd buy a Jalopnik, wouldn't you? I, I get what you're saying, yeah. The clothes are not especially 80s. You're right, yeah. So I, or I think 90s. The way it's, I picked it is there's an element of directorial confidence, not swagger, but there's an inner confidence to where this is made, which I quite enjoyed. The slowness was deliberate. It's kind of it's kind of elegant. This movie, not just in its sense of style, but in the way that it's constructed. So, for the second movie in a row in Drive by Cinema, someone has just been drugged, and this time Jay wakes up. What's happening here? (laughs) She wakes up sitting in a wheelchair, and she's been tied into the wheelchair. She's wearing her underwear as well. And Hugh is sort of opposite her. And they're in an underpass or some sort of thing or some car park. They're in another abandoned industrial building. It's got no walls, does it? That's the important thing about it, actually. It's it's a roofed area like a car park with no walls, exactly as you say. He says he won't hurt her, and he explains to it. He's done this, it would seem, so he can keep a captive audience while he explains something to her, which honestly is going to be very difficult to accept. (laughs) Bearing in mind, this is like their second date, you know. And he says, this thing is going to follow you. And he says, I've passed it to you, you know, by having sex in the back of the car. You have it now. I've passed it on to you. It could look like someone you know. It could be a stranger in the crowd. But there's only one of it. And at this point, he wheels her over to one of the edges of this building, an overlook to some ground with a chain-link fence. Ah, oh, right. And there he sees, or they see, a naked woman walking straight towards them. And he says, 
you could get rid of it. You just have to sleep with somebody like like I did. But Pass if it on. if it kills that person, if it kills her, it will come back back after him again. And he lets the woman approach sort of dangerously close. And he's saying, you know, you must never let them touch you. And then he hurriedly wheels her away. This woman is only ever walking towards her quite steadily, slowly. And he says to her, never go to a place that doesn't have more than one exit. It may be slow, but it's not dumb. Kind of, really kind of to explain the get, get terms of engagement when he's just cursed her, basically. Very considerate. But there's a reason for that. Okay, we later, well, there's a rule of return with this, with this haunting, isn't there? Which we'll probably get into later. Which means that it's in his interest to make sure that she survives. Yeah, well, he's explained it to her. If she is killed, it will come back after him. The rule of return. So he, yeah. he has to explain it to her so that she doesn't get, you know, killed immediately by this thing that is just chasing her. So the dynamics of this game are quite different from the virus game. You know, the virus game where you, they put glitter on one kid's hands and say, shake hands with somebody in the room, okay? And then everybody shake hands three times and then everybody in the classroom after three handshakes has caught the AIDS virus kind of thing. The dynamics of winning this game are sort of oppositional to that, aren't they? It's like, you've got to have sex with lots of people to survive here, haven't you? Well, Obviously, the immediate thought you have is this is a bit allegorical to a sexually transmitted disease. Yeah. You, know? you know, in the way that horror movies are often quite moralistic and quite judgmental about, uh, you know, certain attitudes to, to sexual freedoms, they can be, or they can come across that way. But it's not quite that simple, is it? And I think that's too crude an, anal- an analysis because, it, yeah, the thing about this curse is you you pass it on, you know, it doesn't spread, you you switch it to another person. Mm. And it can come back at you, as you say. So it isn't really... Sexual. It isn't imagine. really a, like a sexual, a sexually transmitted disease. I, I thought it maybe had more to do with like, the idea of emotional damage, you know, passing mm. that on kind of thing. When you can see the mark of emotional damage in somebody else that you brought upon yourself, somehow, somehow you might convince yourself that or at least you don't occupy a state of victimhood anymore, do you, kind of thing. So it's weird dynamics, quite interesting, you know, the gameplay here. Uh, yeah. If you were to gamify it. Uh, her yeah. sisters, by the way, she's got like two two sisters, isn't she? Kelly and a younger That's one. That's right. And they always hang out called, on the couch with their friends, kind of stuff. With a friend, Paul. Uh, they're playing cards out on the porch of their house. And I think they're playing a kind of card game where you have to give one away and then get one. Yeah. So does that go fish or is I mean, there's a lot of different varieties of that kind of card game? But I think again, that's a that is an analogy to this curse, isn't it? This I thought exactly- like, I thought blackjack and the pick up put down game was universal across the UK, and it turns out it's not. Blackjack, not twenty one blackjack, not pontoon blackjack. Blackjack, where you've dealt seven cards, you've got to get rid of them. Oh, that Pick up two, eight miss a go. Right. I thought that was, you know... That's like Uno, isn't it? Pick Blackjack, up two. pick up five. Uh, I thought that was universal to the UK. It's not, weirdly. But you discovered a small village that's never heard of playing cards. Somewhere no, people, in the Pennines. I, like, right? People don't play Blackjack. It's weird. Like I, I thought that was like the one game that everybody knew along with Clock Patience. 
Isn't it? So you turned up somewhere, did you, with one of those green visors, you know, and <laughs> those things I mean, you put around snap, your shirt. I mean, obviously, you... Snap is your first game, isn't it? But first game. After yeah, Snap, absolutely. it's Patience, and then it's Blackjack, you know. I mean, so did they say, no, we play Contract Bridge here, Paul? What are you talking about? I'd love to play Contract Bridge. I seem to remember being taught bridge in PE at school. <laughs> it is a sport, technically, yes, yeah. Rainy day sport. <laughs> Oh, a rainy day sport, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I'd like to see more televised contract bridge, you know. Okay. Well, there's probably a YouTube channel or something, there or a Twitch is. channel that does caters it. for it these days, yeah. Whilst they're playing cards, Hugh's car pulls up. He gets her out. She's got her hands tied. She's still wearing underwear. And he says, don't let her touch you. Jumps in the car and drives away. Obviously, her sisters call the police and stuff, and they're questioning her whilst neighbours look on judgmentally. But she's traumatised, depressed by the whole experience. I think everyone must assume that she was raped, but yeah, obviously yeah. she says yeah. that, and she tells people that she wasn't. But I don't think everyone quite believes everything that she's said. But she's sitting in English class, quite bored, as the teacher reads some Tennyson or something, and she looks out over through the windows over the courtyard, and she sees... A woman approaching, and it's an old lady walking directly toward her. And she's spooked by this, so she she ups and leaves and goes out into the corridor. And uh, she turns around, and there the old lady is coming down the corridor, slowly walking. Mm. She says hello, and students in the corridor say hello back. They clearly don't realise or don't see, don't acknowledge that there's an old lady there. Terrifying. And she dashes out of there, winds up in an ice cream shop where her sister and Paul work. She confides in them. Uh, And Paul offers to stay all night long. It's clear Paul kind of fancies her, isn't it? I'm not sure whether Paul was supposed to be the boyfriend of Kelly, but he clearly likes Jay, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, it's it's all... It's all top and tail in the bed, isn't it, this age group, you know? Oh, it's a generational thing again, isn't it? But we don't know what era it is, so we we can't possibly tell what generation it is. It is. Lucky you read a definition, you're right, yeah. Yeah. Paul's watching old sci-fi movies on TV to keep awake and having coffees and stuff. I think one of the sci-fi movies has a plot about electrocuting the alien or something. But anyway, that may come up later, right? Um, And... She can't sleep, so she comes down and sits on the sofa with him. Uh, clear, again, that he fancies them. They're talking about the fact that they were each other's first kiss when they were kids. Oh, And while it's just coming, you know, to that possible moment where things are going to heat up. This is a slow bit glass. I was talking about, by the way. Well, That's you don't minutes want to see and minutes young, and minutes of that. You like. don't want to see young lovers, you know. Not for eight nothing, minutes, do you know what I mean? It's like it's, it's boring, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. But broken glass, Paul. There's a sound of breaking glass. Yeah. Paul goes to investigate, comes back and says he saw a broken window, but there's nobody in the kitchen. So he goes upstairs to wake up the sisters. And Jay, of course, curiosity, she has to go into the kitchen. And as she does, it is quite slow, this bit, isn't it? She a little bit. edges into the kitchen. It's not bad, though. There's tension tension involved in this slowness, so it's okay. And she sees there in the kitchen, standing in the kitchen, 
weird that Paul didn't see her, obviously, again. A girl who's kind of half undressed. She's walking slowly towards her. And she's peeing herself. And she's walking. Which is a bit... Which is very peculiar, isn't it? She flees upstairs in terror, clearly. And uh, they close the door. She explains that it's there. They don't believe her. There's a knock on the door and her sister... I think her sister Dara or Yara or something, isn't it? She says that she's knocking to get in. And as they open the door to let the other sister in, this really tall man now is looming behind her. That was scary. Very scary. I mean, he's really tall and very menacing. Absolutely. And looming up on down upon them, etc., etc., etc. And there are some the others. The others don't see it. It's clear that everybody else does not see. But for her, we see it's a very close scrape, escaping these 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 monsters. Well, Jay has run off. She jumped out the window and run away. She winds up sitting on a swing in the park. And the sisters come and find her, obviously. I mean, the thing to do would be to, would be to stay out in open open view. Exactly. It's exactly she, what she She fails doing. to do this, except when they turn up again, kind of thing. Oh, she does do it a, a bit, bit, doesn't yeah, she? Yeah, a bit. Well, uh, the temptation will be to do all the time, Richard. Do you know <laughs> what I'm saying? Uh, and not go to school. Uh, just stay <laughs> in a big, open, empty field. Because they don't move fast, as, as as Hugh has pointed out. To also, Greg, the neighbour, arrives. And he's uh, perhaps slightly older, but not much. Yeah. He's still a teenage guy, isn't he? Now, the, he arrives uh, in order to be able to furnish them with information about where Hugh, the guy who who uh, lives. Well, he doesn't know that, but... How did they find Hugh? Then? Ah, well, yeah. So Jay wants to try and find Hugh again to speak to him. Greg says he'll drive them around. They, She knows... Oh, she knows Hugh's where address. he lives. Ah, uh, yes. But we right. knew, the, the cops had already said that they tried to go to his address. He'd been renting an old derelict house. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, he wasn't there anymore. But Greg drives them all to that address. And it, this is one of the things I noticed about this film is it seems in a way that they that the film reflects sort of the state of mind or the curse in the architecture of the, the civic areas. Like the suburbia that they're in is quite nice. Yeah. And then they end up going to this really run-down part of town with all these boarded up houses. Yeah, it was a set of uh, fight club that they don't use anymore. And I was reading in uh, IMDb, this kind of, this style of American house is called a four square. Right? Ah. And I think it's based on a sort of circulation pattern. The idea being that you can move around the four rooms of the on that floor without having to double back, which would clearly be appealing to someone if you were trying to you know, run away from somebody because it means that you can always escape, doesn't it? Interesting. Ah. But they go into this old house, this abandoned house that he was using apparently, and he'd strung up strings with tin cans out of the windows so he could hear if anyone was getting in. And in the bathroom, they also find that there's like a panel between a closet and the bathroom. Back to the closet thing that we mentioned. They managed to jump scare each other at that point, don't they? They do. There's a cheap jump scare here, isn't there? Uh, and also looking in the mirror, like the previous movie we reviewed last week. They look in the mirror and scare each other. Yeah. 
Paul finds a Playboy collection in one room. This is another reason that this is not very well placed in time, right? Because clearly it's not modern, is it? Because no, no one uses like mucky magazines anymore. It's all online, isn't it? So, But he, he leafs through a Playboy and he finds stuck in there a picture of Hugh <clears throat> with, with a girl who's not Jay. And he shows it to Jay and the girl's wearing a Letterman jacket, you know, one of the college jackets with a letter on it and she identifies the school that's from so that's how they know where to go and ask whether anyone recognises the girl or or Hugh in there wow thank you for paying attention to this movie Richard I just thought thought, oh they've they've seen a picture of a girl that's all I thought to that point one of the cool things about the way this is filmed by the way is a lot of the scenes after you after the shocking moment with uh, Hugh, a lot of the scenes, you often see people in the background that seem to be walking toward Jay, don't you? Yeah. And sometimes they've noticed, sometimes they haven't. But it's always in the back of your mind that that might be the the thing that follows coming after them. There, yeah, so there's a, there's a nice, there's some nice slow build there, you know, these false, these false yeah. positives, yeah. And also, like, the little jump scares... They're a bit hackneyed, but the fact they don't lead to anything, it just kind of keeps that tension simmering, doesn't it? And I thought that was a that there's a level of elegant sophistication to to the scariness of this movie that it was obvious they knew what they were doing. So it was lovely. They, and it happens in this scene. They go to the school and they go to the school office and presumably asking, you know, do you know this guy or this girl who's wearing one of your jackets? And whilst that's happening, you've seen a lot a person, a woman outside the school, seemingly walking straight at the camera while you're looking through the window. But Jay doesn't even realise, like, they don't even look up. They're busy in the school. And they come back out of the school, get back in the car, and they're explaining that they said his real name isn't Hugh, it's Jeff, and they know his name. So they now can get an address of where he lives now. So Greg drives them all to this guy, Jeff, who was Hugh. And... They knock on the door and his mum's there and they go, you know, he's Jeff in. Now, the revelation here is that the mum was the woman walking towards the school. And therefore, yeah. we get this idea, this may be where the evil started when she had sex with her son kind of thing. Maybe that was... Is that... Yeah. Really? That, you, That's the idea we're supposed to... Is it? Yeah. I don't think... I don't think it was the woman walking towards the school. I thought it was... You no, know, it was. It was his, it was his mum. Uh, the old woman? No, no. Was it? No, because there was a, there was an elderly woman walking in the school. Uh, but she, you're right. His mum is one of the images of the person. But we know from what what Jeff Stroke Hugh has said that it can appear as someone you know. It can appear as anyone. So, oh, not uh, as the people who are actually infected, kind of thing. Oh, yeah. okay. So I got that completely wrong. Yes. So it's an interesting take, Paul, but it probably says more about you than it does about the film. <laughs> <laughs> They're sitting on their front lawn because they want to be out on the open, of course. And Jeff is saying that he's not safe either because he can still see these things, even though they're not coming after him. And as they talk, a woman approaches and Jeff goes, can you see that woman? Well, apparently everyone can see the soccer girl and she just passes by. But Jeff explains he met a girl in a bar, he had a one-night stand, and that's how it happened to him. Yeah. So 
Not, Greg, with his, not with his mum then, definitely. No, not with his mum. Greg offers to drive them to a place far away. I think he's got a family's hunting lodge out by the sea or by a lake. wasn't sure which one. As soon as they get there, Jay rigs up a load of jangly things at the windows just to, as you saw Hugh had done. And they also find a revolver because it's a hunting lodge or something, which Jay practices out in the wide open shooting at things, cereal boxes on a tree stump. And they sit on a lakeside beach and you see in the background a person approaching. It's quite a long way to see, but it could be the dark-haired sister Dara, or Yara, what she's called. But as the scene unfolds, it's obvious that she's in the water in a, like a rubber ring. Yeah. So it can't be her. And then we see a shot, like, from her sister's point of view. And they're all sitting around on the beach, and she's, like, facing the water. And suddenly, like, an invisible force picks up her hair... So like a long hair just sticks straight up in the that air. Was quite a good, that was quite a good scene, actually. Creepy. And everyone screams and jumps up and she leaps away. Paul picks up a beach chair and whacks the, the empty air with it and it clearly hits something, something invisible. And then they all run to a boathouse, a shed by the, by the waterside. Jay, who can see this thing, obviously shoots this thing with the gun, hits it in the head, and it does indeed fall over. But very shortly after, it just gets up again. Yes, so we discover you can't destroy these things. Not easily. They lock the door to the shed, but moments later, something like kicks the bottom of the door, because it's quite flimsy wooden door, I suppose. The door gets just kicked in. There's a big hole in the base of the door. And they can't see anything coming through, but shortly Greg arrives. He's been running up the beach, telling her to stop shooting because he couldn't see anything outside, of course. He puts his head through and he says there's nothing there. And as, then as soon as he goes away, this creepy-looking kid suddenly, again, his completely changed appearance, comes oh, right. through so the hole. Oh, right, so you're right, it can morph, yeah. Again, it something, does... something I kind of neglected to notice in the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was under well, the impression that the the one that appeared was like the one higher up in the chain in the sex cult kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but it changes like three times in this scene, Paul. It starts off being someone like her sister. It goes to this creepy kid. So the way I thought it was like that person had sex with that person, that person, that it was like going back in the chain kind of thing. I didn't realise it could just change at will into anybody kind of thing. Jay immediately flees out of the shed through another doorway. And as she's running away, she's now being pursued by another girl. Oh, they're all dressed in white, though. You can kind of tell who they are, apart from the fact that they're walking determinedly and slowly. Jay jumped in a car, uh, in the, the car they came in, and drives away. All the sisters and Greg and stuff are yelling at her to come back because they can't see anything, of course. But she's driving in terror. She's looking behind her, and she doesn't notice as a car pulls out. She sees it too late and swerves into a cornfield. Winds up coming to in the hospital with her arm in a cast and a plaster on her head stuff. And all her siblings are sitting around. And she's terrified, of course. Every footstep she's hearing in the corridor outside, she's imagining is the thing didn't that she follows break, coming together. Didn't she break an arm earlier in the movie or not? Or am I just no, imagining that? Oh, it's, it's the okay. car crash that makes her break an oh, arm. Oh, okay. 
we're seeing now the hospital that night and we see various we see the camera panning across from the outside exterior shot through the windows patients and nurses and stuff in the hospital and we see the room she's in and greg is on top of her having sex with her clearly she's realized she stuck in hospital she's in you know real trouble she has to have sex with somebody to pass the curse on, and Greg is willing because he fancies her anyway. I don't think also, Greg believes it, though, does he? I, exactly. I don't think he truly believes this. He's thinking, whoa, free sex, you know. <laughs> <laughs> free sex with a crazy, crazy chick. Yeah. So. And then the next scene we see, seemingly, is Greg chatting to another girl. I, I don't. Well, they may be in the hospital canteen or something. I don't know, or somewhere. But he's chatting a girl up, isn't he? And I wondered whether he'd got off with a girl as well that night, the dirty dog, or he was deliberately doing it because he wanted to pass the curse on. Wasn't sure about that, but... I don't know. But Paul, meanwhile, is jealous, isn't he? Because he's long held a torch for Jay, and he's watching Greg and Jay now being sweet together. And we see Jay now back at home, and she's looking out of her window at night. And along the street, she sees this guy dressed in white, actually. And it, it looks a bit like Greg, actually. His hair looks it does like look like Greg. Greg, yeah. He's got darker hairs. And so. She bangs on the window and tries to attract its attention. But this person goes up to Greg's house. He's, an, he's a neighbor, you see, opposite. Oh, that's right, yeah. Tries to get into the door, can't. Picks up a rock. Throws it through a window, smashes the window. She realises what must be happening, obviously. And it's getting in through the window. She runs over uh, and tries to get in. And when she gets into Greg's house, she finds herself looking down the landing. And she sees what is now, I think, Greg's mum, as you say. Is it Greg's mum or is it Hugh's mum? Oh, she sees anyway. Yeah, this is where Hughes' mum, perhaps, is this standing is in the Hume landing. This is where turns up, yeah. This is, why, this is where I got confused. And she's banging on the door of Greg's room, and she's saying, don't open the door, Greg. But Greg opens the door. And this thing leaps at Greg immediately, jumps on him. But it's humping him, sort of dry humping him. <laughs> so now Jay is being chased, she realises, because according to the rules we've been explained, now that Greg propagation, is back yeah. on her. Yeah. yeah. And in the morning, she wakes up, gets out of the car, goes to the beach in the morning light. And she sees out on the on the waves, there's a speedboat with a few guys aboard. <laughs> and we see her strip down to, you know, her underwear. So she apparently shows she can swim out. I didn't think you were supposed to swim with a plaster cast on your arm. But uh, <laughs> is that not true? I, I don't Full know. confession. Paul, I, do you know I've never broken a bone? I've certainly never had a plaster cast. Have you not? So. <laughs> the implication of her stripping down is she's going to swim out to this speedboat. What, to have sex, perhaps, with these these guys? Yeah, why the hell not? I mean, you're a remote lady. You might as well have some fun before you go. To to pass the curse on to oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I just didn't really get any of this movie, did I, Richie? It's obvious. That... Well, we don't see her do it, and we don't know that that's what she does. And presumably... She couldn't or wouldn't have explained the curse to them at the same time. So kind of they cool would not just to, though. 
Well, so all she's doing is buying a little bit of time, isn't she? Because they're, they're going to get got really quickly, quite quickly. Yeah, but it might buy her a little bit of time. Um, she's back home next, and we see her sleeping in a room with her sisters. <laughs> Paul visits, and he seems hurt that she didn't have the sex curse to pass it on to him yeah. instead of Greg. But he has this great idea of where to take her. And he says, you know, do you trust me? And they go in the car. And as they leave, as they back out of the driveway, Jay sees a naked man <laughs> standing on the roof of their house watching her. <laughs> anyway, they drive away. They that wasn't really up- scary, was it, actually? Uh well, it's just creepy, isn't it? Yeah, but there's only so many naked weirdos you can find creepy. I, I, for me, there was a little bit of attenuation in terms of the creepiness to this movie. Apparently, when they produced a trailer, they had to have like a, a PG-rated version of that, so they filmed it with a guy with pants on. Oh. Uh, I do find it did suffer from a bit of creepiness fatigue, This this movie. True, but it's the same idea again and again, isn't it? That's the problem with it. Mm. Well, they go to this public bath. quite a grand-looking building, isn't it? Quite yeah. a, uh, Municipal. I don't know what architectural style it is. Well, public bath they, architecture. They've brought with them a load of electrical appliances. Yeah. Now, we do like <laughs> to examine the science of movies, right? Yes. Okay. This is 240 volt, right? No, it's not, Paul, because in America... 120 volt. Yeah, it's half. Yeah. This is 120 volt. Right? We're throwing it into a huge, huge, huge body of water. Right? Massive <laughs> body of water. Um, obviously, they're doing this with the aim of electrocuting the evil things. Right? Yeah, uh, because a bullet to the head didn't work. So, presumably, electrocuting it will be fine. How about a bullet <laughs> underwater? Uh, well, we'll come to that, won't we? But let's just show the electricity, okay? So we can't see it, so let's have a generalised form of attack. Electricity, great idea, okay? Just electrifies the whole place. It's a question yeah. of how much could, you know, 120 volts. How much water do you think it can electrify? Well, yeah, proximal and water to about 50 centimetres. Also, if you drop an electrical appliance into the pool, it, presumably it's going to draw enough current to blow the fuses of the building's... Ring main quite quickly, isn't it? You would think. Now, uh, there's a lot of variation here. It depends on the ionization of water. As they've added chlorine, yeah, I'm thinking actually this water might be quite a darn good conductor. So you might be able to extend, you know, that range of deathly electricity to however much. I looked online, you know, on Quora, not the most reliable, but the people <laughs> talking about it seemed to be relatively knowledgeable. You know, they were saying, you know, uh, typically in not highly ionised water, you'd say at one metre from 240 volts source, not 120 volts, you'd have difficulty detecting it with any kind of ammeter, never mind the human skin. And, you know, 60 or 70 centimetres you might just about feel a tingle. So so that puts this in perspective. Well, it's inverse square law, isn't it? Of course, again, yeah. presumably. But um, it also highlights though, something about US electrical safety standards, doesn't it? In fact, we saw this earlier in Jay's bathroom. You know, in US bathrooms, it's normal to have a socket next to the sink, isn't it? An electrical socket. Yeah. Something you... 
do not and cannot get in the UK, which I think I think the UK amazes. is the only country in the world that does this. <laughs> but they want a big mirror, don't they? And they have, like, grand bathrooms with two sinks so the two they people can the brush the teeth at the same time. <laughs> right. Anyway. Oh, we get to the end of this movie. We are. Thank we're God. very nearly. So Jay swims out to the middle of the swimming pool. So she'll be able to see whatever direction it comes from. And they've surrounded the swimming pool with all kinds of appliances. They've got TVs. By the way, all the TVs are CRTs. They're old-fashioned-y TVs, aren't they? So that no flat era-defining, perhaps. Uh, they've got hair dryers. They've got, um, you know, toasters, all that kind of thing. Well, they won't have toasters. They'll have toaster ovens, won't they, in the US? So Jay suddenly says that she can see it. And, uh, you know... She, you know, what does it look like? She won't tell them. That's actually because, as we learn later, what she's seeing is her dad, who apparently is someone who died. She doesn't want to tell her sisters that it's their dad. So she's pointing at where it is. This thing, though, is not jumping in the pool. No, instead it's picking up the appliances bodily and flinging them at Jay in the middle of the pool. <laughs> now, obviously... Delightful. Of course, they don't stay connected because the, the 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 cords are too short. And, of course, as you know, if you ever used an American electrical outlet, they very easily come out the wall, those two-pronged yeah. things. There's no hope anyway of any of the appliances staying connected. But they are big enough to cause damage to Jay when they hit her or land on her in the water. They come at a nice supernatural velocity. Like, there's another world to the way they move, which I thought was nice. But there's a general level of hilarity of invisible objects being... No, visible objects being thrown by invisible powers. I refer you again, maybe the third time in our series, to the epochal cult movie Invisible Maniac, which was shot with a completely <laughs> invisible monster. All done with by cool. the power of moving curtains and moving cushions kind of stuff. Fabulous. Well, it's interesting you say that. Paul, not you, the Paul in the movie, he's got the revolver and he starts shooting. And he actually, unfortunately, because he can't see it, partly, yeah. he he hits his, his uh, not his, well, not his sister, but he hits one of the sisters in the Somebody's in the banged. Foot. He's banged her. Yeah, in the foot. Which is kind of nice, because she kind of deserves it for being crap. Yeah. Uh, Kelly so- throws a sheet over the invisible Cleverly, dude. yeah. So now Paul can shoot it. That's what happens in the Invisible Maniac, if anybody's wondering how that that one ended too. And he pushes it into the water, at which point Jay tries to swim out so that they can perhaps flick the switch on their electrical appliances and electrocute it. But just as she gets to the edge, and we know that these things can survive being shot in the head, just as she gets to the edge and tries to climb out, Something grabs her and pulls her back. Yeah, now she's a good swimmer, but it's a fast swimmer, although it's a slow walker. I didn't really appreciate that bit. Like, it's a super, it's a really fast swimmer. Do you know what I mean? Paul starts shooting into the water. And this is the thing you're going to have an issue with, isn't it? Because no, the fast swimming was a problem I had. She swims but away you're right. from it. And you're right. It's about, like a fucking shark. The, do you know what I mean? You're right about the uh, bullet shots. Mythbusters proved that. Especially at the angle these go in, they have to go to quite a lot of water, you know, several feet of water, to hit the invisible creature. And there's refraction going on there too, so. So it's very unlikely the bullets will be lethal at that distance, I think. Um, They might pierce, but but they probably won't pierce lethally, you know. But in the film, Paul does hit it in the head. 
And apparently, um, in the head, if you get the, like the bullseye shot in the head, it dies. Is that right, or what? No, I don't know about that. She gets out. She turns around. She sees a cloud of blood spreading in the water, though. Whoa. And so they maybe they go- can't escape water. They get away, and we see then Jay having sex with Paul finally, as if you know, like a consolation prize. I don't know. Um, and we see that it was her dad in the water and that kind of stuff. And then we see Paul driving around the red light district, looking at hookers, perhaps with an, an aim to make sure he gets rid of the curse. You think? Or at you, least keep it, keep it a few ahead. You think you would splash not, out a little bit, wouldn't you? If you, yeah, were... but not the best choice. You've got to keep going back to the hookers, haven't you? Because they're obviously going to. Oh no, they would pass it on too, wouldn't they? Oh, it's quite a good idea, that, isn't it? It is a good idea. He's smart, isn't it? Like, we see Dara... But, but my, see, my, my point is, what I explain is, like, if I've passed it on once, can I pass it on again to another person? Or can I only pass it on once? You, you only need to pass it on once. But can I pass unless it on more they than die. once? Unless you... If they die, obviously... So the point is, if you pass it on to a hooker, you know, they're going to pass it on a few times. That's right. Before yeah. they get got. Yeah. So we're, yeah. we're presuming multiple passes are possible. Absolutely. Right. Oh, That's right. you see, I thought it was a single chain. I made lots of assumptions about this. <laughs> now we see the sister. It's who a one to many relationship that's going on here. We see the sister who's shot. who's in hospital because oh, her foot's been bandaged up. She's reading on her clamshell Kindle thing, whatever it is. She's got some kind of poem that she's reading. I think it was uh, Dostoevsky, the idiot. She said she was reading the idiot on it earlier. So this is the Matrix gone to Halloween, isn't it, really? Gone to a Halloween party. That's a very... I think that's a very interesting way of describing it, Paul. Why do you call it the Matrix? Because you can never tell who the... Uh... You, oh, I see, like the agents. Yeah, the you agents. never can tell who, who the bad guy are, uh, is. Yeah, and they can be anyone. Yeah, yeah, true. Thank you. What did you think, Paul? Were you pleased by this movie? <laughs> you thought it was slow. No, you? the pace. I want to talk about the pace. Yeah. It used pace and slow building for dramatic tension in a very effective way. But it also used slowness to fill time when they're just shooting the breeze on the porch. Uh, and that I didn't appreciate so much. It was only appreciable on one level, I think, the slow build. Um, yeah, what else have I got to say? That was it, really. That's, that's, that's my main issue, if you like. It's only a partial issue because I thought at times that slowness was very, very tentative very sophisticated, and teased us, along with the ambiguity of who behind them might or might not be, you know, a a ghoul. Uh, Yeah, that's my only real observation. Uh, A counterpoint to that is the the fabulous sense of style that this movie has. You know, it's very accomplished and very confident in the way it presents itself stylistically. Yeah, just those two things, really. Richard, what did you think overall? Uh, Yeah, I thought it was creepy. The director... Uh, said David uh, Robert Mitchell said that it comes from this recurring nightmare that he had Whoa. about someone chasing you relentlessly. It's a scary idea, made scary. For instance, in the first Terminator, isn't it? Where it is. It's the same slow, inevitable, inexorable approach, yeah. isn't it? It's always going to be coming. You can't stop it. It's going to get you. Yes. Here uh, now, I think. The director had said, the writer said um, that he 
added the sexual element later, which is why I think we need to be careful about making grand statements about the metaphor uh. of sexually transmitted diseases. Because I think, I don't think that was the central element no. of this. I think no. it really was the creepiness of that, you know, forever being hunted kind of thing. Real parallels with what Under Halloween. the skin. Under the skin, yeah. Very, very much the same kind of idea. Although there, I think the sexual element is really central to it, isn't it? They reflect, so they're sort of comparing a kind of loss of innocence with the decay, the urban decay. You know, how you go, as I mentioned, from the nicely sort of trimmed lawns of suburbia with people washing their cars and the tree-lined avenues to the industrial dereliction and the old run-down regions with the boarded-up houses. You know, so there's something about you know, losing your innocence. And it's written really large at the end there where Paul goes to drive around near the hookers and they're all in the same derelict bit of, you know, the industrial estate kind of place. So it it really sort of, it paints that whole thing very clearly, doesn't it? It's making these strong kind of parallels between, between, Presumably, I, I mean, well, it isn't said that she was a virgin before that, but it, that's the implication, isn't it? I suppose. I don't know. And maybe Paul was a virgin before that as well. They end up in that like wasteland of uh, of the curse. Yeah, compromised virginity and and the fact that I don't know. It's just a very general kind of analogy to life. I think. But you're you're right. It does now. You've said that it does seem that they kind of added the the sexually trans, trans the theory of sexual transmission as kind of like a I don't know a trendifying afterthought maybe or just a convenient plot device. But yeah, I mean, I think generally it's the idea of loss of innocence and the the attendant compromise one feels, uh, and once that compromise has become internalised, then. We're eternally compromised, aren't we, in, in our interactions with other people kind of thing. I think, you know, you might draw just a very general kind of ham kind of analogy to the whole movie. Interesting, though. Yeah. Patient and lingering, the style, I thought, was maybe his, his best aspect. Um, the way it teased with the scares. Definitely. Gives an acting score, then. Uh, the acting, I thought, was more than perfunctory. You know, it, they worked as characters... Uh, they inhabited their character quite well. Um, there was no, there was no overacting here, was there, in terms of screams and shouts and all that kind of crap, you know. Uh, and nobody really became cinematically hysterical at any point, you know. Uh, so I thought the emotional reactions of the characters were quite believable. I'm going to score it a seven point five for the acting. What do you think, Rich? The star make maker, I think you pronounce her name, Monroe. Mm. Really good. I thought she was excellent. So. I'm going to give this an eight. Whoa. Now, plot. Uh, I mean, either you like a simple horror plot or you don't. I don't particularly. Okay. I, I just oh. thought it was a bit too linear. And uh, oh. nothing really happened in terms of anything. I mean, they discovered there was a monster. They tried to catch... Rinse, repeat. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. They keep meeting the same monster and they keep escaping it and then they try to defeat it at the end. I didn't really like that, really. And, and again, it's not really built out. We don't discover anything about means. Well, we, they already know about the means of propagation. I think we discussed this. This is the biggest problem is how the hell did Hugh ever find out about the rule that if you have sex, this stuff is going to pass itself on? 
Yeah. Like, Presumably he had to be to have been told. But he said he met a girl at a nightclub and it was a one-night stand. Well, that's what, how did you work she, it all out, by observation. Well, did she chloroform him at the end, tie him up and explain it to him? Or what? <laughs> Maybe. It, it's a big question mark. It's not very well addressed. He might have explained it to them when they went to see him, but he didn't. You know, I also, I, I, what I didn't like was the lack of symmetry. Like, if, if they can't, they just know where you are, yeah, but they can't transport themselves to where you are. Like this, their sixth sense of locating you is, is, is tenuous at most, isn't it? But yet when you have sex, they just know you're having sex. I thought, you know, if they're approaching you physically in order to attack you, then they would have to actually be able to see you having sex at the same time for it to pass on. I didn't really like the fact that it was like, you know, all recorded in the computer system of Google's. Ah, they've had sex. Get it on the central database kind of thing. Like, where is that informational system happening in the supernatural void? I don't know. And all that wasn't satisfying, and I thought it had to be fleshed out in order for it to remain convincing, particularly as nothing really happens in the movie. So for me, I thought the plot was the weakest. It's a 5.5. There's some troubling metaphysics, isn't there? Because the whole setup suggests that it's a kind of psychological thing, right? That it's in the head of the victim, the cursed of victim. But it's basically not, because... But it isn't because, well, the assertion is that it isn't because later, you know, they fight it, even though it's invisible. Paul hits it with a chair, they shoot it, they throw it in the pool and they shoot it again. So that implies that it is real. You know, it kicks the door, you know, hole in the door. So, hmm, yeah. There's like a a style over substance things going on, isn't there? It's certainly creepy. Uh, for the plot, uh, given the slight issues that we've mentioned, and the fact it's a little bit repetitive, the fact just a that it's bit. set it up and then just do it again and again, it's all style over substance. I'll give it a six for the plot. Paul, what's our okay, next category? Okay, we, we can't say horror. horror scares. We've got to say creepiness. 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 Horror and creepiness. Is that okay? Yeah, it is. This creeped me out successfully. Yeah. Yeah. Right from the beginning, the whole thing about other people not being able to see it, that's particularly creepy. And the... And well executed. It it remained believable, I think. Absolutely. The inexorable nature of the doom approaching the curse. And it's got a great atmosphere to it. So it's got to be an 8. 8.5 from me. Worked on all levels. I like the fact that dynamic of some people being able to see it, others not. Therefore, you can really feel that the inattention... About the them experiencing they can't, sh- yeah, they, they can't share with other people, and that's nicely ratcheted up to a level that just makes it boil at the right, uh, more than simmer and it boils. It's a nice round boil you get from this one. Okay, so eight point five. I loved it. It was great. All right, is that it then? It's the overall score. Time. Well, what about you know uh, backstory and and multiverse acceptability you know the whole kind of propagation theory here and the fact that Hugh knows all about it and do you not think we need to downscore it or evaluate that that although the the horror and the scare is believable on on a visual uh on a visceral level i think towards the end of the movie it kind of all collapses on itself because i just don't find the mechanisms of this supernatural universe to be just consistent or believable. Although it is supernatural, so... You don't buy it. I get it. You don't buy it. Mm. Buyability. What about the buyability of this? 
But is it that much different from, say, a werewolf no. or a vampire? No. No. So I'll give it a five. It's about average. S- silver stakes in the heart. Yeah, I see what you're saying. It's kind of... Oh, shit, uh, you've made, you convinced me there. You know, is it any less believable than the rest of the genre? No, it's not. In fact, it's actually quite well constructed. A six, I think, in total. But overall, greater than some of its parts, I think this is quite a, a seminal piece of work. Definitely. Two yeah. ways. Yeah. Uh, so I'll give it an eight. And a good Halloween movie. Whoa! Whoa, I scored it Same. eight. Same yeah. thing. Okay. Definitely. Um, this is one you can sip the Chianti to. You know, it's, it's a nice, slow kind of burn, and you'll enjoy it. Predictable sympathetic. And, and the- and the great thing is you don't have to understand it like I didn't to, to really enjoy <laughs> Clearly, it. Yeah. It doesn't require... <laughs> Let it wash it. over you. Uh, yeah, you don't have to pay that much attention to it. Of course I do, as a reviewer. To, to little or no effect. But yeah, I mean, definitely. This is one that you can just wash over and ski. It's a nice atmospheric kind of thing. Hey, Paul, I think this... This leads us out of Halloween now. This is it for Halloween. So we don't have to do another horror movie. They'll have no problem in doing more, as you know. It's fine. Well, you enjoy them, yeah. yeah. But it's up to you, Paul. You choose movies. I'll I'll follow where you want to go. Well, do you know what? I really wanted to do a movie uh, starring Mae West. What? Yeah, I wanted to take us back to the beginnings of, you know, beginnings of, of, of motion pictures. And go and see a movie by Mae West. Because, I mean, these days she's been reevaluated in terms of, you know, uh, her proto-feminism kind of thing. Paul, is this a movie that you've not seen because you were stuck in the Far East? No, but that's not the modus operandi of our, of our podcast, Richard. That is, oh, okay. That, that, is, that is a sub-task and a sub-aim. A sub-aim, okay, okay. It's what not a mission West, statement, is it? What Mae West movie would you suggest? Well, I did. I did pop it on our, our mutually shared list of whatnot. Okay, Sex Et, I think, was one of them. What Sex Et? Sex Et, as in sex. Sex Tet. Sex Tet. Sex Tet. Yes, I think was the name of it. But I very much doubt. Well, it is available on YouTube for free, but it's probably not going to be very high quality. Uh, well, just it, let me. It, Go on, sorry. Yeah, I mean, if if I don't have the opportunity to buy a high-definition version for three times the price, then it, it'll be a bit of a shame, won't it? I put it 1978. Sextet, yeah. Now, the great thing is, it stars Keith Moon and Ringo Starr and somebody else. It is listed as one of the worst movies ever. Okay. But I wanted to watch it in the context of May West's 70 years in the movie industry kind of thing. Um, well, that's it then, isn't it? We're going to watch Sex Tet from oh, 1978. Wait. Yeah, okay. I've seen excerpts with Ringo, bits of Ringo, and it, 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 like, Ringo's not trying that hard, to be honest with you. So. Well, caveat, if it's not available on YouTube, we're not going to be able to see it. Okay, so join us next time. Until the next time, when maybe Episode we'll watch Sex Tet. Maybe, maybe not. Thank you. And goodbye. Ciao for now. See you later.
Thank you.